What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goombahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Woo-wee! Four days of holiday is more than enough for me. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but uh, there's just a certain amount of celebration where you think to yourself, I have had enough. I'm ready to get back to the grind. I'm ready to work hard. I'm ready to earn Friday. Uh, these last four days since Friday for me have been a lot of hanging out at the lake here in Oakland, Nebraska. What a fortunate guy I am to be married to uh, a woman whose family has a private lake that we can go to anytime we want. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to pretend that I don't have that. And it's nice, but I will say that I am so excited to start just really grinding again tomorrow working on getting the library event set up, working on getting books for brews going. And uh, with that in mind, it's 6.31 p.m. for me right now after being at the lake all day. So I'm not really going to give you too much in this intro, but I do want to let you know I am speaking to uh, quite possibly the number one most successful participant of Ammo in this conversation. And uh, Naomi, Rollins is very direct. She speaks about money, how much she's been able to make, how much she spent advertising, and the hardships in her life. There is a high point, in my opinion, in this conversation when we start to talk about the difficulties she's had in her life. She has a son uh, who has struggled with some health issues. Um, I did learn a little bit more about it off the recording, but because we didn't talk about it during the recording. I'm not going to elaborate any more than she does in the conversation. However, I just want to say, uh, wow, it was eye-opening for me to realize that no matter how hard you work and how successful you are, some of your success will always go to the hardships of life. Some of it will always be leached out because of what you have to deal with. 
and um, I personally felt just such a wave of emotional care for Naomi and what she and her husband have worked through in their lives to be where they're at. How cool. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. This, I think, proves that AMO is a perfect program for anybody who wants to make a full-time living as an author and has the books to be able to do the program uh, and the courage to step into the unknown. And the final thing I'll say before I get you into this episode is that Naomi was a little bit scared. We went back and forth and she wanted to let you know that not everybody's a perfect fit for ammo. I think I try to say that in my ad that opens up this podcast every single time. It's not a fit for everybody. But if you have the courage to jump into it and you have some books published, this could be a life-changing thing. So listen to this conversation with open ears and open heart. And please enjoy my conversation with Naomi Rawlings. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. I uh, I just started price testing 1999 with a five book offer, and uh, I had a, a sale last night, so that was good. Um, as Mondays tend to be slower, so um, that was nice. And uh, today I've watched a couple of videos where I can tell that I have some price objections. So it's only five books at 1999. I've got a sixth coming pretty quickly. But uh, it's like, it's shown me so much about my own mentality toward the value of my books. Because even though I say on this podcast all the time that we should value our books and value our writing, I'm scared because that price tag feels bigger than I value eBooks. So I've got a discrepancy right now between like where my brain is at and where my, my customer's brain may be, I think. If that makes sense. Yeah. Or you need to convince them that your books are valuable and they're worth uh, $5 a book because they are absolutely going to love every minute of reading your stories. And, and they'll be talking about your books and thinking about your books long after they close the last page. So, you know, (laughs) uh, that's what, that's what you've got to convince them of. And in some ways I almost think the price is a little ancillary you're, you yeah. almost maybe are, are doing it wrong if the price is that much of a part of the pro- thought process, because, yeah. um, you know, you need to do such a good job convincing them that they are going to love your books and they're never going to forget them and they need to have them right now. And then by the time they get to the price, they're like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah. And, and it's like if it's too low, you almost do a good job convincing them they're going to love your books. And then it's so low that they're like, well, are they actually even going to be any good? Why are they this cheap? Um, yeah. So there, it, it's a hard balance to find, but I mean, yeah. $14.99 might be a better price point for you. Yeah. Um, it's just the $9.99 price point that I think in general, we need to start getting people away from simply because um, that's almost too cheap. And it really doesn't give a lot more than just room to break even yep. with the current digital ad costs. So yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my thought process right now is that I'm going to run with this 1999 test and see how it compares to previous weeks. I know that that every single day is kind of a different 
uh, data dump where you get to learn like what today would be like maybe next year. I don't know. I mean, Facebook just has so much information that no day is exactly the same as the other, but you can get a feel for the rhythm of things. So I'm going to let it run. And if I don't make a ton of sales, it'll be a good learning opportunity and I can adjust. Uh, I tried 1699 briefly and I seemed to have fewer visible uh, sort of those moments where they looked at the price and scaled past and then went back, you know, that's, I mean, it's just the telltale yeah. sign that they've looked at the price. They've seen the number of books and they went back and looked at the price again. I know that yeah. they're objecting there. So I'll let it run for a little bit longer. Cause I don't mind if I lose a sale here and there, if the customers that I get help me be profitable. I mean, profitable is the whole crux of this program. Are you profitable right now or are you in yes. the middle? I am profitable. And I, I want to say, I can't 100% say this is true, but I want to say if I had not been restricted for a period of time, which uh, I've, I told Matt this as well when he was on the podcast, they never uh, gave me an explanation as to why I was restricted. They restricted me. I complained day after day after day after day. They said, we're doing our research. And then just randomly, I was approved again, um, which he said is as good as an admission of guilt on their part that they restricted me incorrectly. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. But if you take that one week out, uh, then I've been profitable for a month and a half. So uh, that that awesome. yeah, has been nice. It's not a ton. It's I'm not so enough happy to scale. For you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. It's a good starting point or it's, it's a great place to be in. It's hard work, maybe not enough to scale, but um, seems like, cause I've listened to a couple of your podcast episodes uh, enough to at least give you hope and help yeah. you see like light at the end of the tunnel and there's a path forward. Maybe you just need to write more books. Uh, but yeah. I know that's easier said than done write more books. Sure. Six months. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, is that because of the the path I took to get here, I had a literary agent for three years. Uh, I got my master's of fine arts and fiction focus. And I was one of the weird ones who actually was writing through school. So um, I have a bunch of books written. It's just about paying to get them edited. And I was of the mind that traditional publishing was the way to go. And so I was waiting until a novel sold. And then I thought, okay, now that we've sold a novel, we'll sell some more. And the editors at the houses will do all that work. So I'm sitting on a bunch of written work that's just not fully edited at this point. Um, so I'm able to publish books a little bit quicker than than some people uh, for that reason. Although Jonathan Yen is, is a, a insane how many books he can write his episode's coming out tomorrow and i can't believe how quickly he writes books that's i that'll that'll be neat to see i don't i know jennifer more than jonathan yeah um, but i think some of it is because they have that husband and wife team you know yes. um so jennifer does probably 80 percent of the non-writing stuff and jonathan just writes um i always i always like to ask people how how long their books are if they're producing um books quickly because um mine tend to be like 90 100 110 yeah. i have yeah. one that's 120,000 words yeah. um and then people are like oh i write a book a, a quarter i release four books a year and their yeah. books are 40 to 50,000 words and i'm like well that's just as much as i do but i definitely right. don't win any contest for being the fastest author ever to write a novel so i'm really happy to hear you say that because i do find for myself that i don't actually want to produce quite that quickly um this is not an episode of of TRBM at any level, if I don't mention Stephen King, but he'll put out maybe two books a year 
uh, or maybe a book and a half a year. And I've always felt that that pace is really good for readers and good for the writer. Like there's a, a level of care and concern you're putting into your manuscript uh, at that speed that just feels a little bit right for me. So knowing that you're not writing five books a year is also cool. Everybody's different. Listen, I mean, but it's cool to know that you're you're taking time too, I guess. I am the anomaly in that department because for a long time I was just writing like a book a year. Some of it was family stuff. I had a lot going on, three kids, two of them with health issues, uh, moving, those kinds of things. So sometimes life just gets in the way of, you know, at my stage of life. Mm -hmm. Um, But another part of it is, you know, I've never read a book that's been written in a month that I liked. I've yeah. never read one that I like. Yeah. It just seems like the the plot isn't woven tightly enough. A lot of times the scenes, you know, the, the scenes that just like break it for me are like the dinner table scenes or the scenes where like two people are talking, yeah. um, especially with the genre that I write. It's pretty common to have, you know, like cozy mother daughter relationships. So mom and daughter talk or those kinds of things. And there's no tension in it. It's just like, it's just like watching any conversation unfold. Those kinds of things, they bore me. They don't keep my attention. I need something to go wrong. I need more micro tension. It's just the little things like that. Um, I just finished a a book that I wanted to be 80,000 words and it was 110,000 words and it's getting close to my deadline. And I'm like, I need to just finish this. I need to make it faster. And I'm like, no, this scene is boring. I'm going to go back and I'm going to make this minor character like annoy the main, the daylights out of the main character and just have it be that feeling of frustration that the main character walks out of there and he just wants to pull his his hair out and, you know, like shake his fist at the sky or whatever. And I went back and I took, you know, an hour to put that in. The scene is so much better. I'm so much happier it's in there because my readers are going to read it. And I know they're going to be smiling and laughing through the whole thing because they're going to understand every human understands that feeling. So there's little things like that, that I'd have to take out of my books. And after writing 15 of them, like my readers expect that level from me. Yeah. And I like producing that level. And I feel like I'm getting readers who are going to stick with me forever by mm-hmm. producing that level of book. Whereas if I were to be more on the side of a book a month or a book every two months or whatever, that I'd be getting readers who would read my books when they're in front of their face. And then they'd be able to like move on to the next bright, shiny book that some author puts in front of their face rather than really um, be, you know, like be feel like they're committed to me or if they feel like they bond with my books, they bond with my characters, they bond with my series because I write series of five to six books that are all sticky Mm -hmm. and messy and uh, family saga emphasize the saga where, you know, have, you know, the one brother punch the other brother, these, these subplots that go all throughout the series. And um, so, so anything less than that, those, those kinds of things take time developmentally, but anything less than that, I feel like I'd be letting my readers down and they're the books I, I like to read too. So I just have to say, you know, it's incredible amount of work to do like the fast, fast publishing and write fast, like good for you. That's really work intensive and it's awesome. 
and it's great that you're doing that. In some ways, I'm sure it's easier to sell on Amazon if you go that route. I just don't really feel like that's right for me. And mm -hmm. I don't feel like my readers would appreciate it if I were to pivot and switch directions like that. So, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that there's any reason for it. I think, uh, again, one of the things that was so appealing to me about ammo was that I saw immediately the ability to take a book that maybe you've had published for uh, even a decade and use ammo to create a funnel for it and start selling it. And you can just keep selling that book. It really puts the book in the right, the right position because books are an asset. And I say that a lot to my listeners. Once you've written it, it, it's not going to break down. You don't have to repair the toilet at two o'clock in the morning. Like the book is written. You may go back and revise it slightly over time. I've seen a lot of authors I admire update manuscripts a little bit, but generally speaking, it's this object that you can continue to sell to new readers. People are aging into your series every single day. And so having the right way to meet them is a really cool thing. We shouldn't necessarily have to be working slave wages or at that breakneck speed just to make a living on our books. I think Ammo is the most effective program I've ever seen for doing that. And I, I imagine that Facebook's not the last thing, the last iteration for Ammo that, that eventually the program might focus on other platforms uh, if it appears that that's necessary. But knowing Steve, knowing his kind of mentality around finding the cheapest way to get readers on board, I just kind of feel like he'll figure it out. And so that's that's unique. What brought you into Ammo? I'm curious. I haven't asked that to enough of my guests, but you're one of the, uh, the, the OGs, I guess. <laughs> the OGs? The originals, uh, like, uh, yeah, you okay. know. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't know if it was like old guard or I think I think technically it's uh the like uh the yeah I mean it might be like old guys I don't even know I just know OG means like original <laughs> okay all right um so what brought me into well it's kind of a uh it's gonna sound funny if I say it in one sentence but um I saw a Facebook ad one day and it changed my life yeah, right <laughs> that's how it goes in one sentence and yeah. I still remember what the Facebook ad uh said um it said are you tired of your royalties plummeting every time jeff bezos sneezes <laughs> and i was like yes yes <laughs> yes absolutely so uh coming up to that point i you know i'd always been one like i, I came from traditional publishing had four novels published traditionally made four dollars an hour on those four mm. traditional published yeah. novels and yeah. i was like I either need to go waitress or I need to find a way to make money um, mm -hmm. off of my work. Um, my husband, he's in the ministry. We work with small churches. We kind of go into like dying churches that no one else wants okay. um, in an underpopulated area already. That's, um, you know, not, there's not a lot of work and those types of things. And so as you can imagine, those churches don't pay very much. And so we were under the federal poverty level for many years of our marriage. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so there was a point where we'd been married like 15 years and we've been under the federal poverty level for 13 of those 15 years. Oh, and wow. I'm, you know, trying to uh, write novels and help, you know, with the family income that mm -hmm. way. And, you know, maybe uh, on a good year making like 20, thousand dollars a year 20 to thirty thousand dollars a year after i started 
self-publishing. But when I decided to go into self-publishing, I was looking at the $4 an hour I was making writing for the Love Inspired line. And I was like, I just can't do this. I'm taking time away from my family. You know, I'm setting aside the time to work and I have to make more than $4 an hour where, you know, earning living on $15,000 a year, I either need to go work at the gas station or figure out how to make more money off of my writing. And so in 2015, I started self publishing. And the first year was a little rocky. And then it got better as I got more books out that I had the rights to and I, you know, the perma free was a big deal back then it was before there were ads on Amazon. Um, and so once I got the first three books out, it was like, wow, I, you know, made maybe like $25,000 off my books. And my husband makes like $15,000 a year. I made 25,000, uh, you know, breadwinner. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like take some business expenses out, but, but I mean, this is, we almost made $40,000 one year. Like this is pretty good. And so I did that for a couple of years and, um, we were making do. And then the my royalties, my sales on Amazon, for whatever reason, just like started to die. I think it was like the death of Permafree. It didn't matter that I had these really complicated novels that I literally was like, I'm putting the first one for free, but I'm putting so many hooky things into the series that my read through rate was really good. I was getting people who loved my books. Um, when Permafree kind of died and Amazon introduced ads on the platform because this is back mm -hmm. before there were really ads or the ads weren't yeah. very profitable and so that just changed it all and then I'm watching my royalties like plummet so instead of you know fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars a month I'm down to like seven hundred and there's just this sick feeling in my stomach yeah. and I spent almost all of 2019 doing everything to get my sales back up I paid for marketing it was like three thousand dollars plus coaching that I paid for every month and it, it wasn't working so I was I was frustrated and then I saw that ad from Steve at the end of 2019 that said are you tired of your royalties plummeting every time Jeff Bezos sneezes and I'm like yes because I've been living this for two years I had two good years and then they just tanked and so I um went and I I did Steve's program it was expensive at the time I paid like six thousand dollars for it and um, we did not really have $6,000 to yeah. pay. We, I think we had made uh, $25,000 total gross in 2019. Mm -hmm. And 6,000 of it went to went towards ammo. It was mainly like our tax return was about how I had it worked out in, yeah. in, in my brain. Um, so I paid for the program and I started doing it. And I knew it. Uh, already that I could sell my first book for about $5 and 20 cents, that it cost mm. me in advertising to sell that first book of the series, $5 and 20 some cents. But then I had to wait because that book was, was like $2.99 or $3.99 on Amazon. I had to wait until someone read like the first two books before I actually started making money. So then I'm waiting for the read through and maybe by book three, I would start to see money. But mm. there was also this thing as anyone who ever tries to advertise on Amazon knows, 
you try to put money on Amazon ads, you try to put money in Facebook and like, it doesn't always grow proportionally. <laughs> like yeah. you can double your ad spend, but that does not mean that your money on your income on Amazon will be doubled on that book that you just doubled your ad spend for. And so, um, I saw, I saw Steve's program and I remember talking to my husband cause it was a big amount of money. And I was like, yeah, okay, here's the thing, Brian, I know I can do it because I know I can sell that first book for $5 and 20 cents. That's going to leave me like $4 and 80 cents left <laughs> in my pocket. I'm just going to sell all the books right now. And I'll be able to make $4 and 80 cents, you know, per sale. I know I can do this. And right. he was, um, he, he was really good. He was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll find a way to make it work. And so I started doing it, had my system set up at the end of uh, December, started like my testing and running mm -hmm. ads. And that was back when you set the whole thing up all at once. There wasn't like yeah. a setup freebie funnel. You did the whole thing all at once. Yeah. And I started testing just after Christmas and I did not have money to lose on Facebook ads. Right. So I was very yeah. diligent. Like every, every 30 views I went in and I, yeah. Um, re and I went in and I changed my page and, um, it took me about two weeks to get profitable because oh. I was just, I was diligent, but I also, things were different. Facebook had more data back then. It was easier to market on Facebook. And also I had just done all of this, like research into my audience and all of this survey, your mm -hmm. audience and all of these things that I'd been doing with the previous person that I could like take and apply. And so, um, so it took me about two weeks to get profitable. And then I think I made like $3,000 wow. in February in profit. And I was like, I was like yeah. amazed. I was like, honey, yeah. like, like if I make this every month for, for the next like 10 months, I was like, we're gonna, um, you know, no, no, $30,000 just <laughs> yeah. on my own writing. It's And that's not Amazon. That was just off of my direct sales. I was right. like, oh, well, I'm going to be rolling in money. And, um, then I started to scale and fo follow the program a little more closely. And also COVID happened in mm. March and suddenly everything, like a bunch of advertisers pulled out of Facebook. Everybody was at home and mm -hmm. um, I made $11,000 in March in profit. And wow. I'm like looking at this money and I'm literally like, this is almost half of what Brian and I made combined the previous year. Like, I don't know what to do with this money. Yeah. And I asked that on one of our uh, Q&A calls at the very end. I was just like, you know, I have a question because no one knew my financial situation then. I, I hadn't said anything. It's not something you introduce to people, you know, like, mm. hi, I'm poor. I don't have money. That's not yeah. something people say. And so... um so I asked at the end of one of the calls, I was like, okay, all this money is great, but like, what are, what are we supposed to do with it? And he laughed. He was like, oh, isn't that a great problem to have? And I was like, no, I'm like dead serious. This is more money than I've ever seen in my adult life. Like, I don't have a clue what to do with it. And so um, he, he recommended like a business book that had to do with uh, managing money. It's called mm -hmm. uh, Profit First. And I, I read oh, it yeah. and I, I love it, it. Up and I, 
I started using it um, and it just, it gave me clarity and it helped me um, understand a bit more of what to do and what to say. But um, by the end of 2020, um, we made in, in like net revenue, my husband and I, like on our IRS taxes, we turned in like $150,000 was what we made. So from 2019, we were at $25,000. And in 2020, it was like 152, 153. It was like our income like grew by six X in one year. It was, it was really kind of um, incredible and crazy uh, to, to go those two extremes. So we did insanely boring things like started retirement because we didn't have any retirement. Um, yeah. My my son has medical bills that are ongoing that most of my writing career has literally been like, I just want to earn enough money to pay for my son's medical bills. And then mm. hopefully there'll be a little bit left over. Um, that's kind of sad and sobering. Most people aren't in that situation. And I'm happy that most people aren't in that situation. But for, yeah. for a very long time of our life, it was like, I just want the writing money to cover the medical bills. And then we can, you know, do the house payment and some of those things, um, you know, like on off of my husband's income. So that's probably a really long story longer than what you want. No, that's but. exactly what I want. I want to hear the story of of how ammo changed people's lives. I, I'm probably not as smart as most people who are in the program um, and maybe slightly more stubborn. I've not had the, the quick success in one sense that you did, um, but I could see it instantaneously as soon as i ran into ammo i understood that there was something really different about the program and hearing you talk about it is is really powerful one thing you mentioned kind of early on in your story is that back in the day uh facebook was a little bit easier to advertise on and then you also said you'd done a lot of research into your audience um i have a friend who just joined ammo and uh, she's concerned because she doesn't know exactly how to pick out her audience what would you say to somebody who is writing really clearly in a genre or a niche, but doesn't understand how to identify that. What, what kind of things did you do to uh, succeed in that way? Well, I had to learn who my audience was on Facebook. The mm-hmm. research I'd done before, I, I, I don't even know if the system's still around, but I had paid to be part of a group where we surveyed our our existing readers our newsletter list and it it was very particular the things that um that were asked and in the order that they were asked because you essentially tried to get the readers to open up and tell you what they liked most about your writing but you had to like start with an easy question because if you start with the hard question everyone just stares at it and they don't know what to say so it's like start with an easy question then ask like how many books had you read and at the end of it all you export it into excel and then you you score the different the certain people get scores based on how many questions they answered or whatever i think one was even like give us your your email and in your phone number and then like the people oh, wow. who are willing to give you your phone number like got a higher score because okay. they showed that More they engaged. trusted you or- yep yeah, and, and another one too was how many books had they read? And then you sorted by 
how many books they'd read. So if they'd read the majority of, of your list, you gave more weight to them. And then you looked at like, what kind of words did they use? So it'd almost be like going on the reviews on Amazon and be like, does any word keep coming up? You know, like mm -hmm. heartwarming, which isn't what people say in my reviews, but whatever, like yeah. does heartwarming keep coming up or, um, or uh, makes me one that came out for me was like an armchair traveler kind of thing. Like they make me feel like I'm in another world. Um, oh, I guess that's not common, which was yeah. news to me because those are the books I like, but um, yeah. the ones that make me feel like I'm in another world. But they, um, anyway, I had done all of that. So I knew some of this language and like why okay. my readers liked my books. Hmm. And so rather than actually pick out the audience, I put a lot of that language. I I tested that when I did my oh, testing. Cool. Okay. And then I made sure that I put a lot of that language in the actual text of my ads because um I write Christian fiction, which has always been small audience. And then hmm. um Facebook hasn't liked, hasn't let you, or even if it did let you, they really didn't like it if you targeted like Christian specifically. And so I just put a lot of Christian centric language in the text of yeah. my ads. So that would actually be what I would say to your friend, um, do the best that you can with your, with your audience in terms of trying to find authors who are similar to you. Mm -hmm. But really once you get that pool of authors that gives you, you know, maybe like five to 7 million, maybe down to like 4 million um, once you get that pool of authors, use the language in your ad to yeah. try to to attract the right people because the algorithm will pick up on that, and you'll you'll send the wrong people away. Mm -hmm. And but you, what you're looking for is how you can catch the right people. So I think that in terms of targeting people, sometimes discount how powerful the text in your ad can be. Mm. You don't want to be like bestseller, save money you know, people love it. You want to be yeah. like, well, the one headline that did well for me for, for like a year, the first year was like Christian readers everywhere are falling in love with this historical series. Like it had Christian, it had mm -hmm. readers, it had historical, it had series, it had all of these things in it. And just putting that as the headline um, attracted had Facebook show the ad to who it knew were Christian readers, even mm -hmm. if I couldn't. So even though you didn't target them using the the algorithm, you targeted them using the text inside of the ad, which doesn't yes. have the same impact. Right. I, uh, I targeted them using the text inside of the ad. And then I targeted authors in the genre because back then you could. Mm -hmm. Now you can't target any Christian authors, like no kinds of Christian authors. It doesn't matter whether it's fiction, nonfiction, how mm -hmm. popular it is. Yeah. Facebook took away all all types of religious targeting. So it's, you know, like Muslim and, okay. you know, Jewish, Jewish people as well. Um, in some ways, I, you know, I, I kind of have thoughts on it. I understand it to a certain degree, mm -hmm. um, especially for like individuals wanting their privacy. But then as a business owner, I'm like, it's, it really feels like it is a certain level of discrimination for you to be able to target like mystery readers or suspense mm -hmm. readers. Like you can target like 
yeah uh mystery readers but i can't you know target christian fiction readers like yeah. that to me like it's a genre i mean yeah there's a faith element but it's also like its own distinct genre it's got its own category in your you know uh bisect codes or whatever so mm -hmm. to me I, I don't know i'm sure it's not easy being facebook and making those decisions so so yeah. facebook changed some of that but really I mean, the biggest difference, I think, with Facebook in 2020, Facebook ads in 2020 versus in 2023 are just some of the ways that like Apple and even Google have walked back Facebook's access to data. And mm -hmm. Facebook wasn't like playing fair, or being nice with that access to data. Um, but it really hurt small business owners were mm -hmm. able to to reach people who were interested in their things a lot better um, before some of those changes took place. And I kind of liken it to, you know, back in like the 80s or 90s, I guess I don't know how old you are, but like I grew up, you know, in the 90s, I was born yeah. in 1983. So, um, so in the 90s, like if you wanted, if you were, you know, making gym shorts or some kind of sports supplement or whatever, and you wanted to advertise to people who played sports like you your only choice to advertise would be like sports illustrated right yeah. if you wanted to advertise to readers you would advertise in reader's digest gardeners you know better homes and garden like mm -hmm. these giant magazines would would have a very specific and distinctive audience mm -hmm. but in order to be able to afford to advertise in sports illustrated like you had to be nike right it wasn't yeah. like some startup hey we've got this awesome workout supplement it's like you're nike to 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 advertise in sports illustrated hmm. you're some giant company you're martha stewart if you're advertising in better homes and gardens that yeah. kind of thing um so what facebook ads did originally with all the data that they had for people it was just like so helpful for small businesses mm -hmm. because for the first time small business owners could take and pay a reasonable amount to be like hey show this homemade you know cat toy to people who yeah. have cats um hey show this you know thriller book to this historical thriller book to people who like historical thrillers yeah. and you were able to to use that kind of um specificity to get your products in front of of people who really wanted them. Yeah. Um, now some of that's been walked back with the changes. And the sad part to me is like these giant multi-million dollar corporations, they have like engineers with PhDs and they have people who can get all that data. All that data is out there. Mm -hmm. They have people who can extract all that data and collect all that data on their own. It's really in my mind, something that hurts small businesses mm -hmm. in a way that most people don't realize because the small businesses never had access to like a lot of private data. They were just using Facebook's access, even though they, it was kind of like behind a wall. So yeah. it's kind of sad to me. I think that authors aren't the only ones who are hurt. It doesn't make the program impossible. In my mind, it's still so many thousands of times better than having your entire business model be dependent on Amazon. But um, it has hurt, you know, just digital marketing as a whole. Um, I'm kind of, you know, hopeful to see what comes next because I don't think Facebook is, you know, like the end of it. Um, right. I think there'll be other platforms. So. Yeah, my sense, my sense is, is that, um, and and I don't actually like TikTok any better, but my sense is that TikTok has a lot of potential 
to be a, a good platform for something like ammo. Um, I even think that YouTube could be pretty good in its own way. Video is challenging. There, there are people I think inside of ammo already who are really inclined to want to use a lot of video. And then myself I actually don't prefer video. If I can avoid it, I don't learn from video. I've never bought something based on a video ad before. There's just something I, I disengage a little bit or I go into a different headspace for video ads. Um, but I, I think that both of those platforms have a great ability if the cost to advertise would be more in line. I, I'm somewhat curious too, as far as advertising your books, do you do anything where you cycle in one series at a time or are you running ads for every series all the time? Do you ever see fatigue when you're running for one series? What are what are your experiences there since you've been doing this for a while? That's a really good question. I'm actually just um, kind of starting and testing something, something new. So when I first came to Ammo, I only had... Um, I had seven books and I put all seven books in mm. my, what we would call the, the doorbuster offer, the thing where you make the big sale right in the door and you get, you get money right in the door. Um, and so I only had seven books. I put all seven of them in that offer. And then um, I had another one coming out in a few months in like four or five months. Um, and as soon as that one was out, I started upselling it, the post-purchase upsell. So if people bought the, you know, the 20 book set, Hey, get my newest release for $5.99. And, um, you know, I had about 40% of the people who made the purchase would then take my new release, uh, at that price point. And so, but now I've got my Texas promise series is finished. And so I am just in the process of getting that up and um, starting to advertise that on Facebook. I'm still dialing in some of my optimization process. Uh, I can estimate that, you know, over the past four years, I've sold, um, well, last time I looked, it was like 62,000. It might be closer to 65,000 doorbuster sets. So my, my seven book Eagle Harbor series, I've sold 63,000 times. That sounds incredible when I say yeah, that out absolutely. loud. Right? Yeah, it is. It's incredible. <laughs> but then I estimate that for my Texas Promise series, I've sold maybe like 15,000 copies of each of those, maybe closer to 20. I'm, you know, the first book's probably like 20,000, you know, book four might be more like 15,000. And, but that's about what I've estimated. So there th should, in theory, be 45,000 people out there who haven't bought my Texas yeah. Promise series, who bought my Eagle Harbor series. So I am hoping to kind of get that dialed in and start make, making some money on it. Um, my initial testing looked good. Then things kind of tanked when I started to uh -oh. expand yeah. with scale, which I know it happens. And then yeah. I've spent... And then I spent the past few days, you know, banging my head against the wall going this iteration. I got it. I got it fixed. I'll try this. And then like, it makes it worse instead of better. And I'm like, oh, I should have more sympathy for all the poor people that I see on the coaching calls that are like, I changed what? something and it got worse, not better. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that can happen in your brain, mm -hmm. but it's never fun uh, when it does happen. Yeah. And so, um, and so anyway, uh, I'm going through that process, but I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, every, 
couple of years, I can pivot. And then I'm just trying to figure out what to do with my Eagle Harbor series. Um, I did put it in Kindle Unlimited a couple weeks ago. I'm going to see how it goes. Uh, and my reasoning for that is kind of, I've grossed over a million dollars on that series in uh, the past few years. And so I'm just like, okay, so now I want to see if I can get some of the Kindle Unlimited readers. I know that there are people in there that are on a fixed income or people who just read in there. And as much as there are things that I don't like about Amazon, Amazon has a whole lot of readers, like a yes. whole, whole, whole lot of readers. Yeah. And so if I could tap into that, I think my goal is to see if I can get my Eagle Harbor series earning maybe like 10000 a month on Amazon and KU. Um, I'd be happy with that and have like a $100,000 year on Amazon. Interestingly enough, I have never had a $100,000 year on Amazon in, wow. in all of this. Um, in 2021, I grossed uh it would be like six hundred and twenty thousand yeah. dollars and the vast majority of that was direct like yeah. it would be like you know like i think it was just shy of five hundred thousand being direct because i hadn't hit that half million mark um so it would have been maybe like 480 490 thousand yeah. in direct sales and you said gross and right yeah, I said gross. That's not profit. That's so gross. I so, do want to I want you to keep telling what you're telling, but will you come back and talk a little bit about about the the net when when we're done? Because there's a couple yeah. of things I want to uh talk about that you're really well suited to talk about. So thank you for sharing yeah. numbers, by the way. Um absolutely carry on. I carry love on. sharing numbers. <laughs> sharing too. numbers, it helps me. Yeah. And I want to help other people. Yeah. Um so anyway, in in 2021 gross, it was uh, my highest year, like 615, 620, right in there. Mm -hmm. And um, I was at like 81 or 82,000 on Amazon. So I have never yeah. had a six-figure Amazon year. I could be like, I sell multiple six figures a year. Um, and I, and I do 2020, 2022 was not as good as 2021. 2021 yeah. was my highest earning year. Um, so yeah, 2022 was not as good as 2021, but, um, I, I still didn't get six figures on Amazon. So anyway, um, and I'm to the point now where my newsletter list is powerful enough and I'm yeah. on top of doing, um, the direct sales, I'm also trying to invest in my readers and more build a team of like super readers who will yeah. jump when I say jump. I send yeah. out an email. So I've spent a lot of 2022 doing that. And now mm -hmm. I'm getting to the point where um, I can, you know, sell almost as much as BookBub on my own, just with my own reading yeah. list. Yeah. Um, it's really, I'm really kind of getting that kind of relationship and that kind of power just in my organic readers that are, are in my system. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's what I've been working on more, more recently, I guess. Yeah. Um, so back to profit versus net versus profit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's something that I watch, uh, pretty carefully. And it's been interesting to me. So 2021 was my highest grossing year. Mm -hmm. But if you give me a choice between 2020 and 2021, I would go back and I would pick 2020. So, yeah. so with ammo, 
the idea is that you you get your money for your whole series all at front up once you're mm-hmm. not waiting for any read through and you literally get that money hits your bank account two days after someone makes the purchase um and so you can watch day by day you can spend the money on on ads and if you spend like ten dollars on ads and you have a twenty dollar doorbuster then you, that's ten dollars that's in your pocket yep you have some overhead costs, costs for software and whatnot, but but by and large, at, at that ratio, you can run, you know, and scale. Uh, if you can get that ratio to hold issue scale, you can run ads indefinitely. You can run, you know, yep. $40,000 ads a month. Um, exactly. And, and you're fine because you'll be bringing in 80000 in income. Mm-hmm. So 2021, um, I did... S- just over 600,000, like 615. It wasn't quite 620. It was somewhere in right around 615, maybe like yeah. 617. I don't have the figures in front of me, but I spent like 350,000 yeah. in ads, uh, in, in marketing in 2020, I made like 150,000. Well, I guess 15 of that would have been my husband. So you could say that I made what is 135,000 mm-hmm. and um i spent 140,000 on ads and so uh in 2021 i made i i came in with like 180,000 take away 15 for my husband so that would have been like 165,000 and i spent 300 and fifty thousand dollars to get that three to get that 160 in my bank account so i would rather actually you know like take the little bit of pay cut and only pay facebook for that hundred and forty thousand in ad spend and and then like have a a profit you know margin of like two yeah then to um have a profit margin of like 1.3 1.3 or whatever sure. that you know worked out to be or 1.4 or whatever um and some of that is simply because when you, if you do 615,000 you know we can say between amazon and in you know apple books and barnes and noble and whatever we could say maybe it was like 515 that i did in direct sales mm-hmm. over half a million in direct sales um you you got to pay like i pay my two assistants we need we refund purchases we anytime something goes wrong you know uh, you need to deal with that so just like the amount of of time and energy when you run at that scale and dealing with the customers and everything like th- there is a cost to your business and it, and it takes yes. time and those types of things and so to me it's easier to if I can make $150,000 off of spending $150,000, yeah. that's easier than to make that $150,000 off of spending, you know, uh, 330 or 350 yeah. or whatever. Right. It's just, I, I would rather, it's just a more lean, efficient mm-hmm. way to run a business. Um, in iOS 14, took place in like the middle of 2021. So there was definitely this thing too, where I made more money before iOS 14. than after iOS 14, um, in, in some of that, just like the ads mm-hmm. stuff tend to re recalculate and recalibrate in yeah. some of those types of things. So, um, but I do pay attention 
to profit. It's what drives my business decisions. My business decisions are not driven by, I want to be a seven figure author and I don't care if my business expenses are 900,000 and I get a hundred thousand in my bank account. That just seems miserable to me. Like Mm -hmm. I I do not want to make that kind of money and have so little of it be profit. Um, I would much rather have business expenses be a hundred thousand and have a hundred thousand in my bank account than have business expenses be 900,000 and have a hundred thousand, you know, and be like, Oh, I'm seven figures. I'm not, I'm not saying that every seven figure author, their business model looks like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's some whose business models do, and then there's some whose business models don't. So that, that's just what I've, um, you know, what I, what I, what I do or how I look at it. And um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm still very much, um, my son got COVID, my one who's sick, got COVID near the end of 2021. And he's had some ongoing residual health complications Mm. from that, that have kind of like, multiplied our medical bills. So there's still times where I'm like, I really just want to pay my son's medical bills. Um, that That's always been the main goal for my writing. I would love it if we, we could one day get away from that. But um, right now, that's still like a v- very big motivating factor in part. Yeah. And then there's also, we spent 15 years or uh, was it 15 years probably under the federal poverty level? No, I, I think it was 13 years under the federal poverty level. Um, there's a lot just to be made up for in life if you live on that little for so long um, in terms of like retirement. Um, You know, like I said, in 2020, when we made money, we were so boring. We just like stopped driving $1,500 cars and started driving like $7,000 cars. I mean, like we, we were so very boring with all of that. And, you know, um, in 2022, um, our son's medical expenses were, you know, maybe like 28% of our income. So that's a significant, so when you're trying to make up for retirement, we we have a fixer upper house. Fortunately, my husband grew up um, on a construction crew. His dad worked for a construction company. He grew up on a construction crew. So fortunately, where we live, we can buy cheaper houses and Mm -hmm. do the fixer upper thing. So this is our second fixer upper project we're both ready to just so be done we're tired mm-hmm. of constantly having a, a house that needs something um yeah. you know in it but um it's been huge in terms of um leaving us disposable income because our mortgage payments always been able to be so low and then we can pay for the home improvements as the money comes in mm-hmm. or with our tax refund because you know when you're under the federal poverty level and you have kids, your tax refunds are actually pretty decent size. Like yeah, the yeah. most money we see all year was when we got that earned income credit. And for yeah. so many years is like, we need a new car. We'll buy the car when with our tax money, cause you might get $4,000 back in yeah. taxes. Um, and then that can give you money to, you know, 
by another car. So it's nice not needing to manage things quite that way anymore, I will yeah. say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there there are a lot of ways in which uh, you and I have some similarities. I, I'm currently living in a house that my wife and I bought for $31,000. Um, and it's falling in on itself, uh, but we're, we're able to kind of fix it up little by little. And eventually we'll be able to do some of the groundwork that's a little more expensive. But yeah, same philosophy of um, don't spend more than you make and, and things tend to go well. But when you don't make a ton, that can be extremely challenging. We don't have the medical bill situation that you do. And, and I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my children's health. And I'm sorry to hear that that, that has been a constant thing for you. There's a couple of areas I want to get to, and we're coming close to an hour. So I want to respect your time. But one thing is uh, I had moments and I've talked to my audience about this. So this isn't new, but as I'm hearing you talk, I wonder from an emotional level uh, and also because of your background, uh, which I share, I'm not super involved in the church at this point, but um, I grew up in it. And I think there are moments I have a document that I keep on my computer called praying with my fingers because I can no longer really just sit down and pray. It feels like a waste of my time. But if I'm writing, I can justify it. Um, and I would, I would ask God, I would say like, am I cursed? Cause I know I'm doing the right things right now. I know I'm taking the right level of risks. I know that I'm working as hard as a human can work. I know I'm putting it on the line and I just keep not making it, you know, whatever making it is for me, it's different than for you, but have you, can you relate to that at all? Have you had those moments where you're like, good grief, can I catch a break? Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Like there are sometimes when I look at other people, even people in the ministry, because you can be like, well, you know, you knew you were marrying a pastor and yeah. like <laughs> most of those aren't there's there may be a handful that are like, oh, look at how much money this one pastor is. But by <laughs> yeah. and large, it is not not the path to a wealthy and or easy life let alone a pastor who feels called to minister in like rural underprivileged areas and take the churches that most people won't touch because they can't mm -hmm. afford to pay a living wage. And like you yeah. want someone who's going to go in to that kind of situation with 10 people left in the church and build it back up to the point that it can pay a living wage. You know, that's my husband. We yeah. were on our third church. So like, wow. that's the so thing. So you do we fixer do up that. our houses and fixer up our churches. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> got a heart for fixer uppers, right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, that, that is a thing where I look at even other people in the ministry and I'll be like, you know, I, I got the hard life card, like, wait, like, like if, if, if God hands out like an easy life card or a hard mm -hmm. life card, I got the hard life card. Um, and then I can also look at situations and be like, even though we have regular medical bills, there is hope for my son. That's why we pay the medical expenses because he's been getting better until COVID set him back. Yeah. He was actually at a really good place health-wise. Um, he, he has Lyme disease. He got Lyme disease oh. when he was three years old and he has wow. it chronically. So was that a so, tick that you just didn't catch as far as you know then or yeah? Yeah, um, uh, well, and we found it and we... We did find it and pulled it off him. We weren't aware it was tiny baby. We weren't aware that it carried Lyme disease. We didn't know any of the right. symptoms. We were kind of new to the area. And it wasn't as well talked about. Like Absolutely. now you go into the health department and there's posters and there's warning signs. This was before all of that. Um, and so um, for 15%, he was three and a half years old. 
So his blood brain barrier is not like as, I don't know what you would say, like it's not as well divided. It's yeah. easier for, um, for like bacteria to get into spinal column and, and things like that when you're, when you're young or when you're like geriatric kind of age. Yeah. And 15% of people who go through the 30 day course of antibiotic um, do, doesn't get treated effectively. The Lyme doesn't get treated mm -hmm. effectively. So that's, that's where he's at. And so once you have it kind of chronically like that, the bacteria is spiral shaped. It's, similar to syphilis in that most bacteria cannot move through the different kind of tissues in your mm -hmm. body, but the spiral shaped bacteria can. So it can get into the deep tissue around your heart. It can get into the deep tissue around your joints. It can yeah. get into your spinal column. It can go everywhere. So in theory, even though it's a bacterial and it's treated by antibiotics, if those antibiotics, they'll really only work for what's in your bloodstream. Yeah. And so if the bacteria is in your spinal column or in the deep tissue in your, like my son has a lot of like joint pain. Um, if it's in like the deep tissue in your knees, things like that, you, you can really be kind of years off and on pulsing the antibiotics. You get into issues if you're on antibiotics or yeah. even like, like natural antimicrobials for, for a long period of time, you get into issues with that um, as well. So, but Nathan was actually in a good place, just like appointments every few months, you know, mm. Um, to make sure thing, things were going well. We were at a place where like his immune system seemed to be handling his Lyme infection by and large, unless something went wrong, which is wonderful because he was yeah. functional and living a regular life. Then he got COVID and it just kind of wreaked havoc on his system because that can turn into a stealth infection. And the Lyme community has found like COVID just wreaked havoc with the chronic yeah. Lyme community because you get the chronic infections coming from both ends. So, um, so that's been, that's been really difficult, but in, in terms of hope, you know, there are people who, who don't have hope. There are people who, yeah. with kids in the hospital right now who are dying. I look at, you know, like the story of Jeremiah in the Bible, I guess in Lamentations three is some of the most hopeful, in a way, uh, kind of encouragement, because here's someone who like was told to like spend his whole life preaching to uh, people who weren't going to listen to him and he weren't going to follow God. And then at the very end of his life, he watches these people that he spent 20 years preaching to um, come and get destroyed by, I think it was the Assyrians, maybe it was the Babylonians. I'm not great at all my Old Testament history. And he's like watching as these people are being carted off into captivity or subjugated and I'm sure lots of violent things. And, and he says in the middle of lamentations, like great is thy faithfulness and thy more, my, thy mercies are new every morning. And there's some times where I just have to cling to that mm -hmm. and believe that, um, that God's mercies are new every morning and that not everything that I do in this life is actually about like right now in this life. Like yeah. some things are about the future or some things are about maybe how we can be used to help other people. Even if we yeah. don't want to help other people, we just want to to do it ourselves. Um, 
So that's how I, how I look at that. But I'd, I'd be lying to say it wasn't a struggle. I mean, I'm a human, yeah. I'm a person. Would I love for this to just go away? Absolutely, I would. Did Has God chosen to do that for our family? Like, no. no. Has God mm. always been faithful in finding a way to to help things, um, and to manage things? Like, yeah, like we, we've never missed a bill. We've always had money for the bills, even though yeah. always a question in my mind, can I pay it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then in terms of um, in terms of writing, because writing can be frustrating, especially when when you're not earning money. Um, I you know, there was a time before I went indie when I was making those four dollars an hour yeah. that I just took a hard look at everything. Like, do I want to continue or do I want to go wait tables? Mm-hmm. Um, and I. uh really got encouragement from the parable in the Bible that talks about how um, God gives or the the master gives his three servants different talents. Once he gives five talents, when he gives two and when he gives one and the person with five talents, he goes out and he doubles it. And so when the master returns like a year later, he gives the master 10 person with two talents he returns the master returns and he has doubled it he gives him four talents the person with one talent he went and buried it in the sand because he's like look at this guy with five like i can never compete and so he goes and he buries it in the sand and and so i look at that in terms of my writing and i think you know, I might not be five talent. Like I might not be the next James Patterson. Mm. Like I'm, and obviously all the choices I make in my writing, like if I really wanted to make money, I would probably ditch the faith component of my books and try Mm. to write something that was more upmarket, bigger audience, you know, like, like go that direction. I've had people tell me I should like editors, like smart people tell me I should not just, you know, anyone. Um, but um, and coming back to that, I said, you know, God gave me a talent for writing. At that point, I learned story structure. I knew yeah. I was a, a good writer. Like I'd gone through all the hard learning process and I felt like walking away and waiting tables would be equivalent to burying my talent in the sand. You know, I'd mm. put in so many hours. I'd learn how to do yeah. this. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep, keep doing it. And then there's also the verse in the Bible that says a laborer is worthy of his wage. Mm-hmm. And am I worthy of my wage at $4? Like, no, I was putting way more money and effort into that than $4. Yeah. Even at like $20,000 a year, especially if, you know, 10 of it's going towards medical bills. Like maybe I was worthy of $20,000 a year. Maybe I was worth a little more, but it didn't stay 20,000. There was the year where, we went from $25,000 to $150,000. And I just looked at, you know, like when I was making, you know, like, like, especially days when I didn't work at all. And I would make like $400 in profit off Mm -hmm. of my direct sales. And I'm like, was I working, you know, to earn that $400, like, you know, that day I was on vacation in August of 2020, like, absolutely not, you know? And so I just look at that as God and his timing, bringing everything full circle. 
in that I I did have two good years where I got paid um, phenomenally well for free for the amount of hours, you know, that, that I put in. Um, and so I think that writing in particular, it can be like that. And I, I can't give like an answer to every person's journey. There's some people that I should, I would be like, you know, you should stop writing and you should go pursue something else. I can just say that in my own relationship with God, he never gave me that, that license. He took me back to, Hmm. um, you know, the parable of the talents, don't bury the talent. I gave you this ability for whatever reason, whether it makes sense or not. And, uh, and so don't bury that. And then also the verse of a laborer is worthy of his wage. And so maybe I make maybe there's a season where I make $4 an hour, Mm -hmm. but there might be a season where I make 150. And if you average, so at the end of 2021, I averaged everything out, um, how much money we had made. And if you would have averaged it out over like the six years, my husband, 16 years that my husband and I had been married, like what we made, some of the $15,000 years, some of the $25,000 years, and then like the 150 and $180,000 years, it averaged out to like $40,000 a year. Yeah. And you know what? Our finances and our house and those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. it probably looks like if you look at what we have in retirement in the vehicles we drive, we probably look like people who who made $40,000 a year for 18 years and we were smart with it. We weren't, you know, like we didn't go waste it. We didn't go buy a bunch of stuff we couldn't afford. Um, We we tried to be as smart as we could with the resources we had. It's probably what we look like. So those are what's helped me, I guess. I don't know if it (laughs) makes sense. I I love it. I love hearing it. And I, I, I like the way that you broke it down. And I think that people listening really respond to what you just said about uh, your family life and the difficulty that you have. It can be really easy in the middle part of this conversation to say, well, listen to her, you know, six figures, not even low six figures, like decent six figures coming in the door and she can't complain about anything. And I wish I had that kind of success. Um, But the truth is, is that we're all people experiencing life and life is really difficult in my experience. There are some awfully sweet moments, um, but it's it's a difficult thing. I want to wrap up by quickly, we don't have to go in depth here. You mentioned your email list and it's something that I can admit, I haven't even gotten to with ammo very much. I have my abandoned cart uh, flow set up. And other than that, I don't send any emails um, partly because it's mystifying to me. I don't understand how to give value to the people who have bought my books and partly because I don't have enough books to send them an email to say, Hey, buy this one that you haven't because they're buying everything I've got. (laughs) So talk to me a little bit about the emails, uh, how that's effective. And, uh, maybe for somebody who's newer, like me, what you can do to still more deeply engage your readers. Well, honestly, if I could go back and do it all over again, one thing I would start doing right away in 2020 when I started making money and I started getting readers in the door. And back then we were actually using, I was using a configuration that gave away my first book for free. And I had 180,000 subscribers at one point. And then I started cutting them because if you're giving everything away for free, you get, you'll get people who sign up and they don't ever even open the email. It goes into spam and, and whatever. I wish I wouldn't have cut that many or that extensively, but I had that, that many in, and I wish I would have started talking to those people, you know, kind of from my heart 
right away, real conversationally. These are the kind of books I write. Here's why I write them. Here's why I think you'll love them. And um, one thing I started doing about a year ago was having monthly Zoom chats with my readers, just anybody oh, wow. who wants to come. Um, I just got off of one before this. Um, I didn't have very many people. I had like maybe eight or nine. Um, in the past, I've had as many as like 30. Yeah. But we sit and we talk to them. I ask them what they think about these two different book covers I have. I tell them what's coming in my next series. They get Very to cool. ask me questions. You know, some of them, one person today is like, when do you write? What does the process look like? Um, other people wanted to know how my trip to Alaska went um, because I went there last fall. That's where my next series is going to be set and it is in Southeast Alaska. And um, and so I just kind of try to invest in my readers and grow, grow that culture. And so some of that is my emails. It takes me a long time to write them, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm actually talking to real people and, and they've got some heart. And so as an example of that, I am getting my Texas Promise series turned into audiobooks. It's not a cheap proposition. It's yeah. going to be probably like $16,000. And so I've been setting aside money to, to be able to pay for this since January when I decided I wanted to do it. And, um, but I just put on my Shopify store. I'm like, hey, I'm going to offer you guys, since most of you have already read my Texas Promise series, I'm going to give you a chance. You can pre-order right now these books. Um, you can get the whole set for $25, or you can get the first book for five. I know it's super cheap. I know it's not a normal audiobook price, but these are people who've already read and probably paid full price, which I charge yeah. eight bucks for my books. <laughs> so they probably already dropped almost $50 reading my Texas Promise books. I'm not going to go out and ask them for another 125. Yeah. It was like, if you pre-order now, I'll get the money now. I can use it to start paying the deposits on my narrators right now. Okay. So I sent that to my list and I made $1,200 yesterday. Nice. That's awesome. Just on my list, right? Yeah. So that's the kind of power that you can have if, if you build that. But in terms of that, I, I guess I lean... You know, I, I listen to some other marketing stuff um, now, try to learn more stuff. And one of the one of the ways that, you know, marketers use, I guess, is like brand alignment or brand goals, like mm -hmm. like people will believe in your cause because I write Christian fiction. I lean into that. I've always done well with that. I knew just from my marketing, just from my email, other emails is leaning hard into that. And so um, because I know those kind, that's what people respond to, then I can lean into, you're going to help me reach more readers. I know there's readers out there who would love to hear these stories and they haven't been able to listen to them that yet. And so my readers who really like identify with my brand and they love my work, they're gung ho. They'll come fork over the yeah. 25 bucks because they think that, well, they, they know that I'll be able to find some new readers with that. But in terms of if you're just starting the email to work with your readers, I would definitely start the Zoom thing. I wish I would have started that because it yeah. just gives you such insight into how your readers think, what they want. And they, if they feel like they know you, then they're going to be more apt to come and purchase from you in the future. But more than just purchase from you, they're going to be more apt to help you build, hmm. um, build your readership. They're going to go tell their friends about you. So I have yeah. someone in a 
Bible study, who leads a Bible study during September through through May. And she was in my thing and she really liked the meeting. And I can guarantee you, she's going to talk to other people in her Bible study about yeah. my books. And she's going to be her own kind of marketing. So it's really, um, if you can build the, these like super readers, they'll do some of the marketing for you. Um, Joe Solari uh, has a lot about that. He's kind of built like a business model on teaching teaching people like how to turn their readers into super readers, some things like that. So, mm. so some of that is what I follow from him. And at the very beginning, it's just like, just like ammo when you make that Facebook ad that does horrible and you're yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to turn this off. I'm not going to do that. Anyway, your emails are kind of the same way, like sit down today and like write four different emails and send them out. Just schedule them out like every week. And what emails do people respond to? Like, just just yeah. see, like, how do you, it, it's, it's not going to be the real strong sales thing. I do the real strong sales thing a couple times a year, mm -hmm. one of which is Black Friday. You know, and I'll make three to $6,000 on my store, off my list, just doing a Black Friday sale. That's a yeah. real straight sale. People expect it on Black Friday. But, um you know, why you should buy my books. I do a lot of why buy the books on my store instead of buy from Amazon. And readers really love that. They love getting mm -hmm. it broken down. Today in my reader meeting, I explained why I'm not going to put my, my books on Audible um, mm. because they would take 75% of my income. Yeah. For some reason, I do not understand. And not only that, but I went to Audible just to find a narrator. And yeah. I got on the first screen where you accept the terms and conditions. And that first screen, it says that I am giving Audible full distribution rights to my book. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no way. No, like I'm going to yeah. make way more money on my store yeah. than I am exactly. off of Audible anyway. There's no way I'm signing this piece of paper. I don't think Audible actually enforces it. Like they're not going around making reader, making authors take their work down yeah. off of their own websites, but they might wake up one day and start. Who knows? They've done weirder things before, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I, I hate too that they basically have set a ceiling at $13. Like you cannot find an audiobook on Audible right now that costs more than $13. And that that's not the right ceiling for audiobooks. They're, they're really expensive to produce. Uh, and you can't produce one until you've written the, the whole book and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just crazy what they're doing. Yeah. And then what's your royalties on that $13? Like three yeah. bucks, three yeah, fifty. Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. horrible. Exactly. So, so, but, but me explaining that to my readers, I got all of them on team, like, let's go Naomi. Where even if they don't listen to the audiobooks, they're going to like go tell their friends to get the audiobooks from me. And, and if that's the kind of thing, readers care about that. If they knew they care, they just don't know. As yeah. soon as you tell them, like, there's this unfair thing going on by this giant corporation that's hurting all the little guys, like, they're instantly like, I'm going to go buy directly from yeah. other author stores now, too. So so those kinds of things. Um, yeah, investing in your readers. I wish I would have done that in 2020. In 2021, I think I would have been in an even stronger position um, right now. Instead, there were a lot of people that I didn't really nurture or take the time to get to know. I was just like, where's the next sale? Just 
Yeah. And it's easy to do that with the ammo system because you can see reward right away. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I did this. Oh, I made this change. And then I made more money or sometimes, oh, I made this change. And then I stopped making money. That can yeah. happen too. But um, you are getting for the people who purchased from you, you're getting their emails. That's powerful. Let them know where you are when the next stuff is coming out, where you mm -hmm. are, what your process is. I even like in my Facebook group, that's another thing I did. I started a Facebook group. I even in my Facebook group, like one of the things that my readers love to see, and I don't know why, is just every Monday, if I post a screenshot of like the current chapter that I'm on and my word count down in the bottom and I circle that in red, like mm -hmm. my readers get on there and they're like, oh, go you, you could, you know, my goal is to get to, you know, 45,000 words by the end end of the week. Oh, go for you. You can do it. They like seeing that part yeah. of the process, especially if, if they really like your work, they mm -hmm. love seeing that part of the process and it makes them feel more, more included. And it's also keeping them thinking about my book that is coming out at the end of October. Yeah. And so instead of like this blackout in between when the books release, I'm keeping my stuff front of mind. So they're thinking about my books. Are they going to go off and read other books? Sure. Do I want them to go off and read other books? Absolutely. Because yeah. I want to support other authors. And I can't write fast enough to keep them happy. Yeah. You know, that's great. Go, go read other books, but also keep my stuff in the back of your mind and be my little cheerleader because yeah. when it comes time. So in doing this and investing in my readers, um, I saw between my release in last October in my release in this March uh, or this April, a 33% increase in uh, sales revenue. Wow. And that was on Amazon and on my site. I don't know if it's, you know, it's probably a little bit wishful thinking to be like, and next time it's going to be another 33%. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to grow like that, but really trying to understand my readers listen to them. You know, I think if you just like open up the communication channels, those meetings have been so helpful to me and listen to them, figure out how to write emails that they resonate and they relate to like the rest will really just kind of come, but you want them yeah. on team Jody this whole time. Yeah. Like that's, that's the beauty of being direct. Don't, don't discount that because you're so concerned about getting the new readers with that sale. Don't discount can discount the like collective um, benefit of of growing and nurturing them as well. Wouldn't it be great to be to the point where you make fifty thousand dollars on a book launch? Yes. Like, wouldn't that just be awesome? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, Absolutely. I even want that because if I'm because I'm not there, I've never been there. I'm like a ten thousand dollar book launch kind of author, mm -hmm. yeah. and then I make the money on my backlist once I have a series. I want that $50,000 because then I don't need to worry so much about, yeah. you know, if I'm just having an off week on Facebook or my ads aren't doing well for whatever reason, I can turn it off because like I've got $50,000 yeah. coming in twice right. a year. I want to get there because it's more stability mm -hmm. in my business, gives me a little more freedom. And, and it's really great. Just, you know, just the way we have hopes and dreams and fears as writers, you yeah. know, your readers have all those things too. They don't have it related to writing, yeah. but they have have all those same emotions and same life struggles that we do. So yeah. get to know them. Yeah. doesn't hurt. You know? Yeah, I agree. I love it. This has been uh, an absolutely amazing conversation. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it myself to to pull out all of the nuggets and everything. And 
Um, it's It's been great to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, last, I want to finish with, you can uh, leave me a doorbuster or any kind of offer you want for my listeners to have if they want to come grab your books or just your website, however you want people to connect with you. Uh, now's the time. Okay, so I well, I suppose you can go to my website. It's Naomi Rawlings.com, uh, N-A-O-M-I-R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And you actually on there, you'll have the chance where you can click a link to get a free book and you can get the free book. Um, you'll also have a couple options to to get one of my sets at a discount for $20. You can get a whole series. Awesome. I just got my website updated. So that's featured right on my series, or you can sign up for the free book. And then that'll also take you to a second option to sign up, uh, to, to pay, to get the whole series at a pretty good discount. So, um, that's probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of me and learn more about me. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. Well, I will have all of that and uh, we'll, we'll talk in the future. I know on the meetings, hopefully I can have you back again after a little while to see how things are going with your book in October and, and uh, just catch up. We never even talked about like the live components of things. If you do author readings or anything like that. So we saved plenty for later. <laughs> all right. Thank you Thank so you. much. Jerry. Yep. Take care. Yep. Bye. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?